Tonight, open up John chapter 11. The majority of verses will be on the screen this evening. And our text verse we know tonight, we're coming out of John chapter 11. And we're continuing this series for our 2023 um, vision month, if you will, as we, we're addressing a legacy, living a life worth leaving. And the whole idea behind that, again, is living a life worth leaving to others. And so in John chapter 11, verse 35, we know that it speaks of the sorrow our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ experienced. And not only is it the shortest verse of the Bible, Bible, but uh, consisting of only two words, Jesus wept. That's the smallest verse that there is, John eleven thirty five. but it reveals the heart of our Lord. And we've spoke about that quite extensively in the past four weeks, this being the fourth week of January, or fourth Sunday, I should say. And uh, we've seen the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we've really focused on was who he is, is what he did. And we've seen him week one, that he extended his hand. We saw uh, week two, that he moved. Or uh, You know, we've seen these different things of what Jesus Christ has done, how he had actions in his life. And again, it does not take away from his messiahship, his creatorship, his godship, his savior. All It doesn't remove any of those things. It doesn't take anything away from the eternal. But it's such a pattern that our savior gave on this earth for us to live. I mean, my soul, he lived it, you know. And we say, well, what's a Christian? Well, I tell you what, if you're from the United States, you're called an American. If, you know, if you're from the state of Florida, you're called a Floridian. You know, if you're a Christian, okay, then you are to live a life that's like Christ. Well, how do we know that? Well, we know that because of the pattern that he has set. That, my friend, is a legacy, living a life worth leaving to others. And we find tonight, as we get into this, this fourth week of Vision Month, we see here that revealing his heart in such a wonderful way that Jesus wept. Now guys, sorrow is experienced by all in our life. We know that. There are those around us today who are dealing with issues, problems, and interruption in their lives that some of you are not even aware of. And uh, some of you are maybe aware of them. But sorrow is experienced by all. But I'll go ahead and say as well that love is experienced and shared by many in our, in our life as well. And, and we have people in our life who share their love with us, sometimes on a daily basis, and then other times simply in moments of dire need. But it's when those two come together, that sorrow and that love, do we see some of the greatest work overcoming some of life's greatest challenges. Now in John chapter 11, we're going to find here in just a moment, by the time he arrives at the tomb, and we're going to go over the, the whole event, the whole record. By the time he arrives there, his friend Lazarus, has been dead now for four days. Many have taught that Jesus wept at the garden that day, again, the shortest verse in all the Bible, but many have taught that, that he was weeping that day at the tomb because of the death of his friend. But I'm going to submit something to you tonight. There's a, there's a whole lot more going on here in John chapter 11. If the events at the tomb of Lazarus, okay, then maybe Jesus Christ being sorrowful because of the death of his friend. Sorrow has taken a toll on the family here in the loss of Lazarus. Uh, sorrow had taken a toll on the family and the friends, especially the sisters, Mary and Martha, all of which we're going to see and reveal here now. John chapter 11, verses 32 through 34, the Bible tells us, Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. 
I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you this idea here tonight. I want you to understand that what Mary and Martha are experiencing, albeit they are normal, they're natural, we all deal with it, that's known as an earthly sorrow. An earthly sorrow is a real thing. Everyone here tonight has, will, or, or are going through some type of sorrow in our life. It's part of life. It is real. As a matter of fact, statistics show that the most common reasons for sorrow is a, a death of a loved one, a, a suicide law. Of children under 18 dies every 22 minutes in, our, in the United Kingdom. That's 23,600 a year. This equates to about 111 children being bereaved of a parent every single day. Sorrow is real. And they're around you. They're in your life. One in 29, ages 5 to 16 year old, have been bereaved of a parent or a sibling. That's one child in every average classroom in our country. In 2017, in the United Kingdom, guys, 5,821 people died by suicide. 3,200 babies were stillborn. That's around nine babies every day. 6,608 babies uh, and children under the age of five died. That's more than 18 every single day in the United Kingdom, just in our four countries, out of 66 million people. 869 school-aged children, ages 5 to 16, died in 2017. 7,653 babies, children and young people under the age of 18 died. That's 21 every single day. It's estimated that 1% of children born between 1971 and the year 2000 experienced maternal bereavement before the age of 16 years old in England and Wales. Mm-hmm. Guys, I say all that to make this point. The sorrow is around us. Somewhere in your life tomorrow, whether you go to work, whether you go to school, whether you go to the store, someone that you are going to be within six feet from are going to be dealing with some type of sorrow. It may be you. It may be me. It may be all of us, but someone around us are going to be dealing with it. Clean yourself, guys. So, having said all that, Jesus wept. I mean, I want you to notice when he wept. I want you to notice tonight why he wept. And it's not what somebody would claim to be. Verse 33, if you notice again, where we read this, I'm going to put it up singularly here now. Verse 33 says, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Now, mind you, Lazarus had been dead four days. He's already at the tomb. But it wasn't until he saw her weeping and those that were around him that he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. You know, it's recorded two times in the Bible that Jesus wept. Two times in Scripture. Once here in our text, the tomb of Lazarus, and then in Luke chapter 19, verse 41. And, and read this. It says, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. And we're going to address this here in just a little while. But we're going to lay an introduction tonight of why Jesus Christ truly and really wept in his life. So I ask you this, guys. Why did Jesus weep over that city? Why did Jesus weep at the tomb of Lazarus? I mean, the answer in reality is, was it the earthly sorrow that Mary, Martha, and the rest of them were experiencing because of the death of their brother? Mind you, it's the one who can raise the dead. It's the one who has healed the blind. It's the one who has healed all kinds of people and fed 5,000 people or 25. He did all of these things. So let's go back to the beginning, if you will. And let's see how it even applies to the 
Luke 19 verse of Jesus weeping over his city. John chapter 11, we'll look at first at verses 1 through 5 and kind of get the backstory here of what's going on before we get into our three points this evening and understand how we can apply this into our life even yet tonight. The Bible says, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Verse 3. Therefore his sister said unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. <coughs> now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, guys, here we have three people. Three people whom Jesus clearly loved and would do anything for. He finds out that his friend is sick, and what does he do? Well, pick up the next verses. John chapter 11, verse 68. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still. In the same place where he was, and after that saith to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples saying to him, Master, the Jews of late sought stone thee, they stone thee, and goest thou thither again. Skip down to verse 11. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of him of taking of rest and sleep. Then Jesus, then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Plain talk, easily understood. So now his dear friend went from being sick to being dead. Why did Jesus Christ tarry? <clears throat> the answer to why Jesus Christ tarry is going to be the same answer to why he wept at that garden tomb. The same reason he beheld the city and wept over it. It's all going to be the same thing. While Lazarus was sick, we would think that he would go. and He could have seen him, spent time with him, maybe healed him. The answer is the same reason tonight, we'll find. It's all tied, point number one this evening, it's all tied to this, belief. It's that simple tonight. I've told you guys time and time again, the scripture is simple. I understand there's times where there may be verses and areas and things that are difficult to understand. I get that. But don't overthink the scripture. Don't overthink the event. Don't overthink it because it is. It doesn't need corrected. It doesn't need added to or taken away. It is what it is, preserved perfectly and purified for us here today. It is simple. It's all back to belief. Verse 15, And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. So he's answered a question of why he didn't come and run. Why didn't he come and heal him straight away when he was sick and not die? Both times recorded in the scripture of Jesus Christ weeping, they are both associated with belief. Both of them are. Or really and truly the lack of <coughs> The belief of who and what was come into the lives of men, women, and children. I mean, I want you to think about this for just a second. We're, we're talking about the one who is present ever before them and the blessings that was intended to them could have been theirs. They could have received them if they would have believed. The peace they could have had, they could have received if they had believed. The grace they could have received if they had believed. The direction they could have received if they would just believe. That's what it comes down to tonight. That's what it comes down in John chapter 11. It's what it comes down in Luke chapter 19. 
Notice Luke 19 from the screen there. Verse 38 says, Saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in, in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And, and some of the Pharisees from among the multitude uh, said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hast known, even thou at um, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace. But now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee around, and, and keep thee on, in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. The Lord saying, the Messiah is here. They're crying out, blessed be the king, behold. Hey, they're, they're crying out, he has come. And then the Pharisees say, tell him be quiet. The leaders and the sinners say, tell him stop. And overwhelming majority are saying, hey, hey, tell them just to be quiet. And the Lord steps back and he looks at the city knowing what they could have had, the blessings they could have had, the peace they could have had, the grace they could have had, the direction they could have had, just if they would have believed, and yet they did not. And so he wept. Just like he did at the garden tomb when he saw Mary and her friends weeping. All they had to do was believe. And it's the same with us today. It is the same with us today. Jesus wept because of unbelief, knowing what could be and what will be because of belief or the lack thereof. As people are experiencing sorrow in our world today. They're experiencing the loss of peace and they are pain-stricken today because of an earthly sorrow. Because of the lack of belief, people will place their trust in themselves. They'll place their trust in some five-point outline given by some self-proclaimed influencer of the week or podcast or the month or whatever it may be. And yet none of it will sustain. None of it will hold. None of it will stand the test of time. The days of sorrow will come back. The moments of pain will come back. And they'll sell you on the fact that it's going to get you to the next week and it never will. It's like eating a rice cake. It may taste good for a moment, but it ain't going to last. Amen. There was earthly sorrow. There is this day, and rightly so, guys, they lost a loved one. I mean, there's nothing wrong. Hey, listen, it's normal. It's natural. The grieving process is part of life. There is nothing wrong with being sorrow and the loss of a loved one. But it wasn't just earthly sorrow present that day. There's heavenly sorrow. We'll go back to our text verses tonight. John chapter 11, verse 33. Notice this with me. Now, I've added some emphasis here. That's mine. This is not inspired. This is the BJ version part, but I've added that. John chapter 11, verse 33 says, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her. That's the earthly sorrow present before the tomb that day. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. That's the heavenly sorrow. That's the heavenly sorrow now. Jesus groaned in the spirit of his trouble, not because Lazarus was dead, but because of those that were around him of their unbelief. His sorrow was rooted and grounded in the actions and the words of those that were around him. Their eternal destination, which is linked solely to belief. That's what it's linked to. There's no work that you can do. There's not something someone else can do. The eternal destination, the heavenly gift, the heavenly, the heavenly uh, guideline, the eternal life that you can or have received is directly associated with your belief. It's that simple tonight. 
Look at John chapter 11, verse 4. We're rereading some of the verses, but I want you to see them. John chapter 4 says, When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Verse 15. Now he says, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe. That's the purpose. That's the reason that he tarried, linked to his belief. Mary saying, If you'd have been here, you would have died. She could have been spared the earthly sorrow, but the Lord has a purpose for it all. His heavenly sorrow is rooted and grounded in their unbelief. And it is the unbelief of men, women, and children that breaks the heart of God. Therefore, Jesus wept. We'll keep reading John chapter 11. John chapter 11, looking at verse 39 now. Jesus said, take you away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he had been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? I mean, still, he's saying, get the stone away. And the Lord's trying to get the point across to her. He's weeping. I can see him right now with tears running down his face. With his, his tears drip, dripping off, off of his beard, off of his hair. And he says, move the stone. And she's over here saying, hey, he's been dead four days. And he said, listen, man. Didn't I tell you that if you just believe, you're going to see the glory? If you'll just believe, you see the glory of God. Belief, man. And, and you know, our world... I'm not going to rant, I promise. But our world believes some of the craziest, most outlandish, ridiculous things, and even more so in the past three years, with absolutely zero proof, no record, no evidence, just ideas and theories and thrown out there. Nobody on the news today cares whether it's correct. They just want to be the first one to get it out in front of everyone. They don't care about accuracy. And people believe it. They'll find the seeker. They look at our world. And yet we have something that has stood the test of time. This Bible here has been attacked more than any other thing on the planet. As a matter of fact, from day one, the Word of God was attacked. When there was two people on the planet in the perfect garden where everything was great and everything was wonderful, you was never going to die. Satan shows up in the form of a serpent. And the first thing he says is, yea, hath God said? He's causing doubt in the word of God of what he has said. Not the written word, the spoken word. But he's causing doubt in, the, in what God has said. And that's where we are today. Eden looked back and said, wait a second. The Lord said we can eat of every tree of the garden, but not this one. This one can't eat of this one. Then she added to the word of God after she took away from the word of God. She said we can't touch it. Genesis, 2 says, Genesis chapter 2, 16, 17, never say anything about not touching it. It's probably a good idea, probably a good principle and thought. But God's not interested in principle and thought. He's interested in his word. That's what's going to be obeyed. And furthermore, God said, Thou mayest freely eat of every tree in the garden. And she removed the word freely, and then she added it. It couldn't touch it. You know what the devil did? He sat back and he did this. He says, I got her. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, man, Adam was there with her. He said, gave her husband with her. He wasn't off, you know, counting sheep. He didn't do his job that day to protect his bride. He says, I got her. She's taken away. She's added to the word. Yeah, I got her now. And he just leaned down and said, Thou shalt not surely die. For the day thou eatest thereof. That's what he did. Brother, I'm here and I'm telling you tonight. This thing stood the test of time. 
And it's only going to be as good to you in your life if you believe tonight. Watch this, if you will. John chapter 11 again, verses 41 through 43. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hast thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now I say this every time I read this scripture, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm convinced in all my heart, had Jesus not used the name Lazarus, every dead person on that mountain side would have walked up that day. Listen carefully, guys. You, 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 do you know what believing will do for you today? Do you know what believing will do for you tonight? If you will just simply believe, it will enable you to be removed of whatever has kept you bound. Whatever has kept you bound. The rest of the chapter of John chapter 11, verse 43 and 44 says, And when he had thus spoken, or when, he had, when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with great clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him. Let him go. So let's get personal. We're almost done. We're about to go home. What's holding you back tonight? I can't answer that. I'm not inside your head. What's holding you back tonight? Let me ask you this question. How well are things working out for you in your life right now? Maybe doing it your way. Do you ever wonder why things keep happening? Why there's this this feeling of emptiness inside of you? No matter what you do to express yourself or or no matter what you do to, to find that temporary fix, it always comes back to that same moment. Resurfacing over and over and over again. My friend, if you're doing that, you're bound. You're tied up, man. You're locked down. You're tied to grave clothes solely because you refuse to believe, to execute the changes you know that need to happen, the change of path and the change of where you are to do things where the Lord would have you go, avoiding the pain and the sorrow and the loss of your life, even though when it does come, believing in the one. <clears throat> who has turned you loose? Jesus said to he that was once dead, loose him. Let him go. Belief. The execution of this belief, guys, and the making of changes to have those grave clothes off that's kept you kept you down. That's what's going to set you free. And it's only linked to belief. The beloved life still going to have its aches and pains. It's still going to have its ups and downs. It's still going to have its darkness. It's no different, guys, than the growing pains that we experience in the body. Guys, if you want to get bigger, if you want to get better in your life, you're going to have to go through some pain. But believe in Jesus and his way of life. Sets you free from being bound. Both in the temporal and the earthly, as well as eternally. That choice is yours. I can't make it for you. But you got to believe. That sounds great. But there's one more point we have, and we'll be finished. No, Jesus wept. We know now why Jesus wept. We know why he wept before the city. We know why he wept before the tomb, the two times, two recordings in the Word of God, where we know that where Jesus Christ wept. He wept because of their unbelief. That's why he wept. And he pushed this point to believe. Why? So they would not be bound any longer. But in doing so, 
Both in our life and the life of Jesus, we find there's going to be a battle to face. There's going to be a battle. John 11, 45-48 says that many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. Praise the Lord. Verse 46. But some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. They then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees of council and said, What do we? He said, For this man doth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. You know what we find here? We find the self-preservationists. They're only interested in keeping you bound. Only keeping, they want to maintain control over you. We find here the sinful passions. Remember, guys, is misery loves company. When you start making changes in your life, you start making progress in your life, you start setting a pattern as Jesus did, and you start to get moved by those who aren't believing, and your heart hurts, and your heart yearns, and your spirit's troubled, and you begin to groan, and all of these things happen, there's going to be somebody in your midst that's going to kick up a storm. They're going to try to cause problems in you. They're going to try to go get you to do things you used to do. Bring that misery in your life because they're miserable. Try to keep that emptiness in your life because they have emptiness in their life. That's what happens. That's what happens when you get set free. When you're not bound anymore because of belief, there's going to be a new battle that presents itself. Not only just self-preservationists, not only are these sinful passions, but these are also selfish perversions. Those who are created God in the image of man, in the way of tradition, creeds, and rituals, all for the purpose of luring you back in. They want you to those great clothes. My friend, keep in mind, Jesus Christ didn't do anything without knowing the outcome. We've already read it. I don't know if you picked up on it or not. We've already read it. He wasn't taken by surprise when the battle presented itself. He, he wasn't taken by surprise when there was a group that still didn't want to believe, even though the dead guy woke up. Hey, they're still, hey, he's thinking, he knew they were going to go to the Pharisees, probably the same ones who told, told Jesus later on, said, hey, tell your disciples to be quiet. He knew Lazarus would die. He wasn't surprised. He purposely waited so that God could be glorified. We saw that in John chapter 11, verse 4. It says, The sickness is not in the death before the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Jesus knew what he was doing, man. But with that thought, Jesus' sole reason for waiting was to glorify God. His heart was broken because of their unbelief. So he waited to raise, to raise Lazarus so they would believe, to set him free of that which was bounding, knowing full well that it was going to kick a hornet's nest over and a battle would come. And he was already prepared for it. We read it earlier in John 11, verses 7 and 8. Then after, uh, he, after that... Um, after that saith he to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. This is what his disciples said. They said, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee there. And he goes out thither again. He knew about it. He knew the battle was going to happen. He knew that there was going to be a war on his hand, which led to the end of his life. And he did it anyway. So let me conclude with these thoughts, guys. Are you willing to get uncomfortable? Are you willing to get comfortable tonight? with being uncomfortable for a cause greater than yourself. Are you? Are you afraid? No. Amen. Are you fearful? I don't want to step out. I'm pretty comfortable here, Pastor. I, let me, I'm just going to stay right here. I know it, hey, it's cold outside, but these grave clothes are keeping me warm. No, what they're doing is they're rotting you to death. 
So you're willing to get comfortable with being uncomfortable for a cause greater than yourself tonight. Greater than you. Jesus wasn't afraid of it. Jesus knew the battle would come. He knew that by removing him who was bound would bring forth battle like none other. But for the sake of others, for the sake of souls to believe, in his mind there was no other way. There wasn't a secondary option. There wasn't a, let me see if there's an easier street. There wasn't see, well, it may take longer. Let me just, he didn't do that. He knew it was going to happen. Well, he said, in his mind, it was worth the loss. In his mind, it was worth the pain. It was worth the interruption to himself. So souls would believe. So what about you? That's where we end tonight. What about you? What about me? Am I willing to learn to be comfortable and be uncomfortable for a cause greater than myself? Am I willing to pay the price, suffer the pain, see the darkness, go without sleep, do this and that for the sake of others to believe? Sorrow is in this world. Sorrow is always going to be in this world until we just, like we heard in How Great Thou Art, until that shout of acclamation when he calls us only man. But even though we're in this world today and we see earthly sorrow, one thing we need to remember. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. My friend, I'm here to tell you tonight, and I'll say it with a smiling face and a heart that is on fire for my Lord and Savior. You may be here tonight, and you may be struggling. You may be going through sorrow. You may be in the midst of darkness. I'm telling you now, you're bound. Cut those grave clothes loose by believing there's a battle on the other side of that. But fear not, because my God's already gone through that battle, and he'll get you through it as well. We bow your heads tonight. Father, thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. Thank you for this evening. Thank you for the time together. And I pray, dear Lord, you bless us in our closing song. And I ask you here tonight, touch a heart, touch a soul. Be here present this evening, be someone online, no matter where it may be. But I pray that you make a difference in their life. Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus wept because of unbelief. I pray that we would too. That we would look at the souls, we'd look at people, men, women, and children as souls. Rather than just human beings, but as souls that's going to spend eternity somewhere. Let us weep for them, Father. That they may believe, dear Lord. That they may be cut loose from being bound. And even though they'll get into a battle, we know our God will fight for us. We ask this in Jesus' name tonight. Amen. 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 I hope and pray that God was good to you tonight in the teaching of his word.